and welcome to City Break Ideas, episode 6. The last episode, in fact, in the series I planned to cope with Covid. So we've done the virtual visits to six different cities. We've done five City Break Ideas episodes already. And here's the last one. A goodie, I hope. Only four cities this time, because I think there's a little bit more detail on each one. Three sent in by other people. One of my own. They span three continents. I'm hoping the mix is a good one. I'm hoping there'll be something you perhaps feel nostalgic about, maybe something you hadn't ever considered doing, perhaps something you think, yep, that's been on the bucket list for a long time, let's get on and think about that. But that overall, and altogether, it'll be an inspiring collection. However, before I get to that, I wanted to talk briefly about a website I've discovered that I'm really a massive fan of, as I think anybody who likes City Breaks would be. And it's called Drive and Listen. The actual website address is driveandlisten.herokuapp.com. But I tried out just googling Drive and Listen and it did work. Okay, so what is it? Well, it's an ingenious website. Covers about 50 cities, maybe one or two more, in the most unusual way. Okay, so you choose your city, you press go, and you see a video of driving through the city as if you are behind the wheel of your car, and at the same time, you can listen to the radio, local radio, in real time, I think. It really does make you feel as if you're there. I had a go. I went to Rio and drove around there for a bit, listening to Nova Brazil FM. I listened to NPO Radio 2 in Amsterdam. I listened to something I couldn't actually read the name of in St. Petersburg, because it was all written in Russian script. It's just added to the feeling of really being there. And actually that one absolutely reminded me of arriving in St. Petersburg. We were driving along some kind of highway with signs in Russian script overhead, listening to baffling, cheerful radio in Russian. And it really felt like that first drive from the airport into the city centre. Did a little bit of digging to see where this wonderful idea had come from. And it's an app set up by an Istanbul student who's currently in Munich. He's called Erkam Seka, and he decided this would be a lifeline for pent-up travellers, or people, as he puts it, stuck abroad and missing their hometowns. So, to quote from him, I was missing riding round my city, even the traffic and the fuss of daily life, so I found myself watching videos of Istanbul online. It was fun to see my city, but I thought, why not listen to some radio in the background, to get the whole riding in cars experience? I realised that other people around the world must be missing that same experience of being on the road. It seems to be quite popular. He's got some very positive comments left below on the website. Things that say things like, Love it. Spent a couple of hours driving around Rome and Tokyo today. Sounds mad. But I love to drive around cities and let my thoughts run. Thank you for making this. I think it could turn into a bit of a time waster, but what I decided was, after a little go of, actually watching the city and listening, I might just leave the radio on in the background while I got on with other things. And if someone comes in and says, is that Radio Moscow? Or what Spanish-speaking radio channel is that? Well, so be it. Just a really fun way to bring the world into your study, and one which I thoroughly recommend. So one last time then, the name of the app, Drive and Listen. OK, so on to what we're supposed to be doing, City Break Ideas. The first one for this week comes from Vin, who lives in Cyprus and who runs a travel blog called Vin en route, 
vinnie.net. V-I-N-N, if you're looking for it. And when asked for her suggestions, she was keen to choose a city in Cyprus. She gave me three to choose from, and I picked Larnaca, for the very good reason which she herself explained. It's quite near the main airport. If you're a holiday maker and you don't want to be, as she puts it, on the road all the time, then you can stop in Larnaca and find lots to see and do. You will find, for example, she says, the old town, the museums, the salt lake, where pink flamingos usually flock from November to April, the Halaa Sultan Teka, which is a Muslim holy site, the Church of St Lazarus, dating from the 9th century, and, of course, all that lovely beach with fun activities like stand-up paddling and generally wandering about and doing beachy things. So I went on to Vin's website, had a look at the Larnaca page, where I found she's made six different sections, loads of photographs, and for each one there's a text with a little bit of information and at least one lovely picture. So the sections are things like the marina, shopping, visiting the castle, special events, the beach and St Lazarus Church. So for the castle, for example, I learned a little bit of history. I read a description of the cannons which are up there to protect the harbour. She described the area gruesomely known as the execution area with its tombstones and some of the contents of the museum. Looking at the site more generally, there were lots and lots of different entries, all to do with Cyprus. So there's one on Cypriot cuisine, for example, one on exploring the Trudos Mountains, things about festivals, such as something called the Cacopetria Sweet Spoon Festival, and even a more recent entry called Cyprus Post-Lockdown. So I had a rootle around, I looked at the Cypriot cuisine entry, for example, where I learnt loads of things. What influences Cypriot cooking? Well, Greek, Turkish and Mediterranean influences. Okay, so what are the key ingredients? She told me that. Home cooking, she says. Fresh potatoes, zucchinis, carrots, beans, spinach, tomatoes, celery, all those lovely vegetables, olive oil, of course, and a big part in many, many dishes, lemons, spices and herbs, thyme, basil, parsley, coriander, yes, but also more eastern ingredients such as cumin and pepper and paprika. Glorious photos of some of the typical foodstuffs, stuffed vine leaves, for example, Souvlaki, which I learnt was the Cyprus way of barbecuing things. Something called Sheftalia, which are special pork and lamb sausages. Lots about seafood, calamari and octopus. And so on and so on. So really, lots of information and photos to drool over. Okay, so that's our first idea for this week then. Larnaca on Cyprus. And for the second idea, we're going to a completely different continent across the Atlantic to the US because I got a message from a company called At Pod Previews, a podcast boosting website, whose suggestion for a city they would recommend to anyone to visit was Seattle for, as they explained, the unique vibe, the weather, the Space Needle and because it's the home of Starbucks. I've been to the States a couple of times but I've done that very British thing of sticking to the East Coast because it's a whole lot nearer. And I have spotted Seattle on a map, and of course in a number of films, and thought, yep, that's one for the ideas list, but I didn't know all that much about it. And so I went on an information hunt. Washington State's largest city, it said, but definitely with a very outdoorsy feel. A city surrounded by water, mountains, forests, and which has itself thousands of acres of parkland. 
home to a large tech industry, think Microsoft and Amazon, and of course, as mentioned by pod previews, to Starbucks. So what, I wondered, is there to see in Seattle? Well, every website I looked at and every book I looked at all said the same thing, already mentioned in the one-line description sent to me by pod previews, and that is the Space Needle. The Space Needle. What is that? Apparently, one of the most recognisable landmarks in the world, a treasured Seattle icon. OK, still doesn't tell me what it is. I found out that it was built in 1962 for the World's Fair, and it was meant to be a 21st century Age of Space type building, futuristic. Built, in fact, to symbolise, quote, humanity's space age aspirations. I never did find out what's inside it, but I do know that if you go right up to the top, you will get the most fantastic 360-degree view all round downtown, the mountains and the sea. And it does seem that if you only get round to one thing, apart from all that healthy outdoor stuff in Seattle, then the one thing really should be go up to the top of the Space Needle. If, however, you do want to do other things, absolutely no shortage. Lots of museums, a flight museum, for example, art galleries and the Pike Place Market, described as a downtown fish and food market and with the most fantastic pictures of towering piles of lovely ingredients. But it does seem that really the thing about Seattle comes down to two basic things and that would be the vibe, I quote, and its proximity to nature. So I tried to research a little bit about each of those things. The vibe. What is this famous Seattle vibe? Well, it's a flourishing city, well-off, energetic, forward-looking, big on tech, at the forefront of innovation. Seem to be a lot of people on laptops in cafes, but also a place for relaxation. The waterfront, the aquarium, the museums, the restaurants. One of the websites I checked said, The city is rich in culture and easy-going lifestyles and it's no accident that Seattle is the coffee capital of the United States, with an espresso bar on almost every corner. Okay, so there you are, I've done my best with the vibe. I think it might be one of those things you only really know if you've been. And then secondly, nature. A beautiful green city filled with lakes, islands, parks, hiking trails, streams. A very walkable city. A comment left on one of the websites I looked at said, a car is more of a nuisance than a necessity in Seattle, which I think makes it slightly unusual as an American city. So all in all, a recommendation I was very pleased to have. Thank you, Pod Previews. If you're wondering, by the way, Pod Previews is a website of interest to people who make podcasts or to people looking for new ones to try. The opening line on their website says, Hey, podcasters, are you interested in being part of a podcast community? And the promise is that from very soon, from September, I think, in fact, they will be showcasing clips from podcasts so that you can browse, listen to bits and pieces and follow up the ones you like the sound of. Actually, I quite like the sound of that. I wonder if they'd like to feature city breaks. Perhaps I should get back in touch and put this to them. Okay, so leaving the US and off to a third idea. And for this one, I consulted an organisation called Travel Begins at 40 and I asked them where they would recommend for a good city break. And back came the message, one of those answers featuring something I hadn't actually come across, but I'll do my best with the pronunciation. So this is what they said when asked that question. Where do you recommend? Quote, 
Luang Prabang, Laos, the most beautiful place with a stunning sweeping panorama down to the river below. It's UNESCO listed, it's full of charm, and arguably it's the best riverside location to dine at sunset. Now that sounds worth following up, does it not? Okay, so, the basics, Luang Prabang, is the capital of a province in northern Laos called Luang Prabang. And it has the most beautiful location in a valley where two rivers meet, the Mekong and the Nam Khang. And it too, a bit like Seattle, is surrounded by mountains. It's said, in fact, to be so beautiful that Buddha himself would have smiled when he rested there during his travels. He's said to have understood its charms, and he is said to have prophesied that this place would one day be the site of a rich and powerful city. And so it was. It was, in fact, the royal capital until 1975. And there are certainly signs of grandeur to be seen in things like some of the temples, but it's also a city with a very laid-back atmosphere. Apparently a local saying is, too much work is bad for your brain. So, if relaxation is your thing, then perhaps Luang Prabang is a place in which to indulge it. Okay, so what will there be to see there? It is a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and when I looked up on the website to find out why, one of the main reasons they cited was because of the blend of its architecture. It being a place where the majority of buildings are very traditional, wooden structures with plaited bamboo panels coated with wattle and daub, but in amongst that then, the many pagodas and Buddhist temples, richly decorated buildings with sculptures and engravings, paintings, gilding. So, for example, there's one from the 16th century, known as the Wat Zieng Thong, and a second one, the Wat Mai, which is the former home of the country's Buddhist leaders. So that's already quite a contrast, but there's a third element to the variety of architecture, and that dates from the fact that the country was a French protectorate in the 19th and 20th centuries, so there's also an element of colonial-style architecture. One or two-storey brick houses, with balconies, with wooden decorations. You find a lot of those lining the main street, for example. And UNESCO are full of praise for the fact that all of this blends together to make an interesting and varied whole. But it's certainly not all about buildings, because the natural environment is very important too. And it's one of those cities where nature is evident even in the city centre. So, for example, there's a sacred mountain called, apologies in advance if I get the pronunciation wrong, but I think it's probably pronounced Mount Fuzi, and that's in the very heart of the town. According to myth and legend, the domain of something called the Naga, mythical creatures. And even today you can watch ceremonies being held to appease these Nagas and other evil spirits. You probably want to visit the other mountains. You probably want to visit the Kwangsi waterfall, whose water spills down into a whole series of beautiful pools. The water in which I just saw described on more than one website as being turquoise. That sounds beautiful, doesn't it? And there's also a wetlands area, a whole complex network of ponds used for fish farming and vegetable growing, and all very much part of the city. So there you go. Thank you to Travel Begins at 40. And if you're interested in travel, you may well want to check out their website, where they say their stated aim is to inspire you to travel responsibly and imaginatively. There are ideas for tours and projects offered by travel agencies, but that's really not the main focus. The site is really all about their own experiences 
what they found in the places they've been, coupled with what they describe as the latest travel news on events and festivals from around the globe. To sum up then what they're trying to do, here's a sentence which I've taken straight off their website. Quote, Whether it's a homestay in the Cambodian jungle, trekking in Tajikistan, a naturalist hotel in Costa Rica, or urban camping in Stockholm, you will find it in our pages. It's never too late to start something new. Let your journey begin here. So, there are some cities, Stockholm for example, probably fewer than you'll find on city breaks. Of course, of course, how could it be otherwise? But a great place to find out about everything else. I recommend you have a look. Travelbeginsat40.com So then, those are the three ideas sent in by other people this time. And to finish off, I'm going to add one of my favourite European cities, one that actually I haven't been to for quite some time, but of which I have the fondest of memories, and that is the lovely German city of Heidelberg. Known certainly to every German as the oldest university city, on the river Neckar, and famous for, if you've seen any photos, that oldie-worldie inner town, a fairy tale castle. Quite an intellectual sort of place because of all the students and because of connections with past authors such as Goethe, whom the Germans will tell you is their Shakespeare, and Mark Twain, he went through there on one of his European tours, liked it very much. The artist Joseph Turner painted from sites in Heidelberg. So it's definitely a classy sort of place, but absolutely definitely very much a city with a student vibe as well. So you can visit the university, which has its own university museum to tell the story of Germany's oldest seat of learning. There's a super impressive university library, which I think you can pop into, and definitely somewhere you are encouraged to visit, somewhere called the Studentenkarze, which translates into English roughly as student's prison. I guess any city that attracts a large student population has some problems with, let's call it, youthful enthusiasm. And the solution in Heidelberg was this, a little jail where you could lock students up temporarily for minor offences. So it was used from the 1770s onwards, right up until the beginning of the First World War. You might end up there for drunken behaviour, perhaps for practical jokes that you played on lecturers in the university, or because you had been duelling, one of those sword fights that students used to do, particularly in German universities, in the hope of gaining an impressive-looking scar that other people would respect you for. You'll find out if you go that students were released to attend their lectures, but expected to return to the jail for the duration of their sentence, which could be anything up to a month. I dare say it kept them off the streets and out of the pubs and out of trouble. And if you go and have a look, you will see on the walls graffiti and pictures done over the centuries by some of these student prisoners, some of which tell you what sort of thing it was that they got up to that landed them here in the first place. Still on an intellectual theme, another thing to do in Heidelberg is to go for a walk on something called the Philosophenweg, so the Philosopher's Pathway, which is a two-kilometre walk from the riverbank up onto high ground overlooking the city, where of course you get lovely views of Heidelberg itself and of the castle, which is on the other side of the river. If you make it to the top, you will then be in the Philosophengärtchen, so small philosopher's garden, which is a little terrace garden, again with glorious views over the Altstadt, the old town, and the river, and the area in general. 
and one of the decorations in the garden is a bronze relief of one von Eichendorf, one of the well-known German romantic writers who was known to use this walk to clear his head and think his thoughts and decide what to write next. I think probably the main must-see site in Heidelberg is the castle. It's one of those lovely German fairy tale type castles, romantic, on the hill above the town, dating from the 13th century, but which got battered around by war and by fire and went into decline and is now a very romantic site, a bit of an antidote to anything modern and in very good nick. So if you go to visit, you can wander the courtyards, admire the carved stone facades, look at the lovely views over the city, and know that you are in a place which the painters and writers, particularly in the 19th century, considered very picturesque, very romantic, and an inspiration for their work. There are one or two particular things up there you might want to have a look at, one of which is known as the Heidelberg Thun, which is an enormous wine barrel said to hold wait for it, 221,726 litres, a particularly specific amount, I feel, and which dates from 1751. There's also the Deutsches Apothekenmuseum up there, which is a museum about pharmacies and medical science in Germany. Masses of things on display, 20,000 apparently, but the big thing to see really is that they've got seven complete little pharmacies through the ages dating from the Renaissance onwards, so that you can see what the apothecaries looked like in the past. In terms of what you can enjoy to eat and drink in Heidelberg, I did a little bit of research on that, picked out three very typical, very German dishes that you may wish to keep in mind. One is the not very romantically named Saumagen, which means pig's stomach, but it's definitely a delicacy. You see people eating lots of it. It's cured pork and sausage meat and bacon and potatoes, all stuffed into, of course, a pig's stomach, tied up and boiled until it's cooked. Then you take it out, slice it up and serve it with fried potatoes, sauerkraut and rye bread. That does sound very German, does it not? Equally German, and possibly more to general taste, is the lovely Kvetscherkuchen, which means plum cake often a sort of tray-bake looking thing with a cakey doughy base, a layer of fresh plums sliced on top, sprinkled with cinnamon and sugar, perhaps glazed with apricot jam and baked. Very Moorish. And particular to Heidelberg itself, a little sweet delicacy which is often bought as souvenirs as well as eaten there and it's called a Studentenkuss, which means student's kiss. It's a little flaky, waffly thing with nugget in it and dark chocolate, dating from 1863, invented apparently by one of Heidelberg's oldest cafes, the Café Knersel, and sold ever since. And what about, as German waiters tend to say, zum Trinken, to drink? Well, research revealed that really that is, as you'd expect, beer and wine, with the addition actually in the Christmas season, or the winter generally, of Glühwein, that lovely hot, spicy mulled wine that the Germans are so good at making. Heidelberg has quite a lot of seasonal events, a big and very well-known music festival in the spring, a castle festival in the summer where there are open-air theatre performances and concerts against the backdrop of the castle. There'll be a big castle illumination spectacular with fireworks. And every winter, of course, Heidelberg's Christmas market, 
which has about 140 stalls and booths specialising in all those things you expect from a lovely German Christmas market, both in terms of food and drink and of charming little gifts and tree hangings and so on, held right in the middle of the old town. So there you have it then, four more city break ideas this week. I hope you were intrigued by all of them. I hope perhaps you are particularly inspired by one or the other and are already making your travel plans. So, onward and upward, next week, big event, I'm going to start the new City Breaks series, City Breaks Bath, which I'm really looking forward to, but I am wondering about maybe keeping the City Break Ideas episodes going, perhaps one every few weeks or so, so I would very much like people to keep writing in with ideas. If you can suggest somewhere we haven't thought of that you think would make a great City Break, perhaps send one or two reasons as well, and I will follow that up with some more research and make it into a little piece to go along with others from other people on an episode at some point in the future. That would be great. Remember, there are various ways to send your ideas in. You can go on to the website and leave a comment on the blog down the right-hand side. There are entries on there marked City Break Ideas. So that's at www.citybreakspodcast.co.uk. You can email if you prefer citybreaks at citybreakspodcast.co.uk or you can contact us via Twitter at citybreakscast. So do get in touch if you have an idea or indeed a comment. Perhaps there's something you liked, something you'd like to see more of or perhaps I mean hear more of. And if so, then it would be great to hear from you. For the moment then, I'm going to draw this episode to a close Look forward to your company again next week if you're able to join us and sign off this week in deference to Heidelberg in German by saying thank you very much for listening, vielen Dank and goodbye, auf Wiederhören. Musik